another story, a different kind of story. A few uh, hillside guys went up to Mount Seymour last month, and uh, we were up on the mountaintop. Uh, it was supposed to be a snow camp, uh, not so much snow, but we had our sons along. We spent an awful lot of time around campfires, and we sang campfire songs. We have some campfire song talent in this church. I didn't know that before, but it was pretty, pretty fun. Um, next morning, the kids uh, are kind of off exploring in the woods, and a few of us, there, I think there were five of us sitting around the fire, and we began sharing stories. Only it wasn't funny stories, it was life stories. And people started talking about things that had happened to them in their lives. In fact, three of the five of us that sat around that fire had had marriages that had kind of gone south at some point, and uh, they talked about that experience. And, and one of them shared at one uh, most of us didn't know that, that he had a, he's got a young family now. He had an adult son that most of us didn't know about. And he told us about his son and how his son got married. And we're listening to this story. And I tell you, it felt like a sacred moment as people, as these guys were opening up and being vulnerable and sharing their life story. Question. <clears throat> if you had your chance uh, this morning to share your story, what story would you tell? I mean, what dreams have you chased? What obstacles and hurdles have you overcome? Are, are you living the life you imagined? Are you living a good story? Another type of story is the, the story we might call the epic story. I, I think of uh, the Ten Commandments and, and Moses, that kind of story. Um, but for me, I, I honestly, I think of Lord of the Rings. I, I, uh, I read the Lord of the Rings when I was 14 years old. And I remember thinking, that's a really long story. And, uh, and it turns out that that was J.R. Tolkien's aim. He wanted to write this grand epic. And an epic is defined by something that is simply broad in scope, big, big scale. Um, I want to show you a scene from Lord of the Rings this morning where, where Sam, he's, he's one of my favorite characters. He's kind of the, uh, the unsung hero a little bit. He's an ordinary, small hobbit gardener turned into a brave hero through through the circumstances he gets thrown into and he talks about being involved in these great stories let's uh let's watch this scene um the scene's pretty powerful I, I think it reminds us no matter how small we are there's a larger story going on in our world a story that involves hope even in the face of darkness tolkien was onto something story matters our story matters and here at Hillside, uh, as a, a community, we've been discovering that, that the Bible isn't just a collection of laws and lessons for life. It, it's more like a collection of stories about people and, and about events and, and, and nations. Together, they make up one story. God's quest to save a, a fallen race of creatures made in His image and to restore His broken world into, his, into its original splendor. We've also discovered that every time we open the Bible, we find ourselves in the pages. <laughs> Somehow we're there. The, the people we meet are, are, are just like us. The stories they have are a lot like ours. And what our scriptures confirm for us is that, that from the very first pages, every person's story matters because God's story of love is being told one life at a time. On Easter Sunday, we come to the most climactic moment in that great story, the, the resurrection 
of Jesus that we sung so enthusiastically about today. And we're going to discover when, when God's story intersects our story, it changes everything. It, but, but before we get to the Jesus story, which we will, let's think again about our stories. Donald Miller uh, wrote the best-selling book, uh, Blue Like Jazz, a few years ago. And he's went on to write some other great books, um, and screenplays even. He, he, he talks a lot about story. He talks about what makes a good story. And, and Miller says, in order to have a story, you have to have a, a character who wants something and then has to overcome conflict to get it. That's a pretty good definition of a story. I mean, think uh, Romeo and, and Juliet, two young lovers who want to be together but they have to overcome the, their feuding families in order for that to happen. I asked some friends uh, to help me illustrate this definition with other stories that fit this pattern. They quickly came up with a few. Of course, Frodo has to destroy the ring of power in order to save Middle Earth. Okay, that was me. Rudy, he wants to play football for Notre Dame, but has to overcome poor grades and a puny build. Katniss has to survive the Hunger Games in order to get back to her family. Lloyd and Harry have to return a suitcase of money in order to get the girl in the modern classic, Dumb and Dumber. It's true, I need some new friends. So what's your story? What do you want and what keeps you from getting it? Uh, There can be all kinds of answers to that question, I think. Um, Maybe you want a successful career or a happy family, or or good health, or financial security. Maybe all you want is for your hockey team to win a a game. These are are all reasonable, but but it seems to me what every person wants, if you kind of distill it, if you boil it down, is one thing. We want life. We want a, not not just any life, a good life, a meaningful life, a life that's long and full. I mean, isn't that ultimately what we want? We want life not just for ourselves. We want it for the whole world. So what keeps us from getting it? What's our conflict? What do we have to overcome in order to get it? It could be a lot of things. It could be sickness, uh, unemployment, family dysfunction, um, you know, bad people, bad habits, bad luck. But in the end, there are really two things that keep us from the, the life that we want. They're kind of old enemies, sin and death. Now, what is sin? Sin's kind of an old word. Sin is, is our human tendency to mess things up, to, to think of ourselves first instead of others, to hold a grudge instead of forgiving, um, to, to twist the truth, uh, to settle for lust instead of intimacy, to, to lose our temper, to break our promises, to hurt people we love. Sometimes it's our own sin that gets in the way. Sometimes it's somebody else's sin. But either way, it's always there spoiling our, our joy, sabotaging our, our good intentions. As long as, as sin is loose in the world and, and in our hearts, we'll never get the lives, we'll live the lives that we're meant to live. The other thing that, that gets in the way is, is death. Um, I like Woody Allen quotes on the subject. He says, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> But, but really, no matter how good our life is, we're always haunted by the fact that it could end at any time, and it will end sometime. We have too many reminders of that. And when it does end, it'll probably feel too soon, like there's still more life left to live. That's the, the basic human storyline. 
We, we want a good long life, but sin and death keep getting in the way. A pastor I know had, a, had his kids out at a restaurant when the kids were young, and the restaurant, they had TV screens all over the place. It was a themed restaurant, a cartoon theme, and, and uh, all these cartoons were, were playing without sound. And the kids, they're all goofing around the table, except for their three- or four-year-old who had his eyes glued to a particular screen where they were playing a, on a continuous loop, Roadrunner, the Roadrunner with, you know, Wiley Coyote, strapping, you know, rocket-propelled roller skates uh, and, and uh, launching himself out of uh, these giant slingshots and, and, and firing himself out of cannons in order to try and, and get a hold of so he can eat that elusive Roadrunner. And after watching for a long time, this little kid has this epiphany. Without taking his eyes off the, the screen, he, he quietly announces to the table, no matter what he does, he's never going to get the chicken. <laughs> I forgot how I'm going to tie that in this morning. I just thought I'd share that. Actually, that, that's really the human storyline, isn't it? No matter what we do, we're, we're never going to beat sin and death. No matter how many uh, self-help books we read, no matter how many promises we make to ourselves and, and to others, I mean, sin continues to hurt our, our careers and our relationships and our, our, our good times. And, and no matter how many peace treaties are signed, no matter how much relief efforts are, are launched around our world, we still can't fix what's wrong with the world. And think about this, Greater Vancouverites. No matter how many sun runs you run, or yoga classes you attend, or kale smoothies you drink, um, we're never going to be able to beat death. No matter, no matter even the advances in medicine, we're never going to be able to overcome that one. No matter what he does, he's never going to get the chicken, and neither are we, as long as sin keeps thwarting our dreams and death keeps robbing us of life. Every human being since Adam and Eve have lived some version of that same storyline. And it's not to say that, that our stories are, are never good, but they're never as good or as long as they could be. With that in mind, I think we're ready for a better story, the Jesus story. The Jesus story begins as a classic rags-to-riches tale. A, a child is conceived out of wedlock and, and born to a peasant couple on the road a long way from home. Um, his first night is spent in a barn. They wrap him in clothes. They lay him in a bed of straw. He, he grows up in a backwater town and, and spends the early years of his life in obscurity, working blue-collar jobs, uh, providing for his family, and practicing the religion of his people. At age 30, he kind of breaks onto the public scene, um, making a name for himself with with powerful sermons and, and promises of a coming kingdom. He speaks of a, a, a new age to come, of peace and justice for all, of, of God's goodness filling the earth and healing the nations. He speaks about God as, as if he knows him and as if he was there on a mission. They're not just words. He backs them up with actions. Uh, everywhere he goes, blind people see. And paralytics, they, they get up and, 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 and walk. Hungry people are fed. And those that are plagued with demons are set free. He gathers 
around him a, a small band of followers, a, a, a dozen or so zealous men who are yet untested, and a small group of capable women. Like every folk hero, the common people love him, but the authorities are threatened. Soon great crowds are following him everywhere, and, and rumors and, and expectations are, are kind of going through the roof. They're, they're, they're sky high, and soon uh, great crowds are following him everywhere. So authorities, they make plans to get rid of him. The tipping point comes at the third year of his ministry. He was probably around 33 years old. He comes out of Galilee with, with fire in his eyes, marching to Jerusalem, which was their holy city, he arrives just in time for the holy days, the lead-up before the Passover. As he enters the, the edges of the city, crowds come out to him. They line the streets, and they're, they're looking to him as the Savior King. They're treating him as royalty. His followers are pumped. This is the moment that they have been waiting for. But suddenly the, the story takes a dark turn. I mean, instead of leading a revolt, Jesus kind of turns inward. He talks about suffering and death, and about going away for a, a long time. The, the crowds, they quickly lose interest. One of his own men sells him out. And by the end of the week, he's placed under arrest, and his friends have fled. He's sentenced to death by lying priests and a cowardly politician. And after a, a beating, severe beating and humiliation, he's marched out of the city, where he's brutally attached to crude timbers and hung up to die in the middle of the day. Jesus' story ends in death, just like every human story. He dies virtually alone. It's left to a couple of strangers to take his body down from those timbers and hastily wrap them for burial in a tomb. We're, we're talking from rags to riches to rags again. His followers scatter into hiding. They're, they're disillusioned and afraid. It's been a remarkable run, but short-lived. But on the third day, a few loyal and, and brave women come out to the grave to pay their last respects, but they find something they didn't expect. The tomb is, is wide open, and in the middle of all that and their astonishment, an angel is there, can imagine him kind of hanging his legs over the tomb as he sits on top of it. And he appears to them and tells them not to worry, not to be afraid. Jesus is alive. He's, he's on the move. He's eager to see them and, and to pick up where he left off. So the story's not over after all. We had rags to riches to rags and, and back to riches all, all again. And, and 2,000 years later, the story is still being told. It's a remarkable story. Although it's familiar to, to many of us, it, it never fails to, to stir us. Uh, it's that good a story, and, and that brings us back to the definition of our story. A character wants something and has to overcome conflict to get it. So what did Jesus want? We could probably answer that a number of ways. He wanted to make God known. He, he wanted to restore the nation of Israel. He, he wanted to inaugurate, to bring in the kingdom of God. But as I asked myself that, that question, what did Jesus want? I, I found myself drawn back to Jesus' own words. We, we read them last Sunday. John 10, 10. I have come that they may have life and have life to the full. Turns out that Jesus 
wants us to have the very same thing that we wanted for ourselves. Life. Not just any life, but a, a full life. Or as he says in, in another place, he says eternal life. That's what Jesus wants for you and me and for every human being. A good life that goes on forever. That's why he came. What did he have to overcome? Same two things you and I have to overcome. Sin and death. First, he had to overcome sin. Everything wrong with the human race in this fallen world. And he did. He took on the foolishness of the crowd and and the faithlessness of the disciples and the jealousy of the religious leaders and the brutality of, of the soldiers and the cowardice of Pontius Pilate and, and he absorbed it and he forgave it. And then he overcame death. It, it was the last enemy, enemy the, the undefeated foe, the, the end of every human story. Jesus took death on and his lifeless body was, was laid in a cold stone tomb. And three days later, he blew the door off that tomb and he opened the doorway to eternal life. Fifteen years or so after these things happened, the Apostle Paul wrote these words after observing the impact of of Christ's death and and resurrection firsthand. He said, Where, O death, is your victory? And where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. To put it another way, Jesus caught the chicken. Like a snake handler offering his arm to the viper and allowing its fangs to dig in. And and he absorbed this world's evil, draining sin of its lethal venom so you and I could have life to the full. And then dealing with death, dealing with our our shame and our brokenness. Like, Like Sam, Jesus thought there was some good in this world worth fighting for. Turns out that good is your life and mine in our experience of life with God forever. That, friends, is the true story of the risen Jesus. I never, never get tired of Easter Sunday and preaching that story because it's that good of a story. There's never been a story of, hu- of a human being who conquered both sin and death. It's so remarkable a story that some find it hard to believe. We, we don't have time to consider all the evidence this morning, but, but consider this. There were other messiahs in, in Jesus' day, uh, inspiring teachers, uh, you know, religious radicals, historians, point to a dozen of them at least. They gathered followers and they made promises and, and they raised people's hopes and expectations. But every one of their stories ended in death, usually a violent death. That was the end of them. None of their followers suggested they'd somehow come back to life. They didn't even think of that as a possibility. Why would it? They simply concluded that that must have been a false messiah, and they began looking for the next one. For some reason, that didn't happen with the Jesus story. His followers insisted that he'd come back from the dead, that he was very much alive and more messiah-like than, than ever. His enemies couldn't refute it. They couldn't point to a grave or, or produce a body and say, there he is. The Jesus story continued to to, 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 to go, go forward. It refused to die. It only gained momentum. His followers told it to everyone, everywhere. In fact, in the book of Acts, they called themselves witnesses to the resurrection. That was kind of one of their primary identities. 
They went to their deaths telling his story. Within a few years, a, a new religious movement arrived or emerged, the Jesus movement, entirely consistent with a story that had been told for thousands of years, but far better, far broader than anyone ever imagined. It's hard to believe. But consider the evidence. First, there's the evidence of the empty tomb. The Jesus story would have ended immediately if Jesus had stayed in the grave like every other dead person. I mean, something happened to the body of Jesus that no one has ever explained. Second, there's the human evidence, the change that overcame the disciples. Something transformed these, this, this ragtag group of people from, from a, a sniveling, doubting cowards to, to courageous leaders who spent the rest of their lives claiming that Jesus had, had risen from the dead. They believed this so much that they, uh, most of them went to their deaths, brutal deaths, untimely deaths, because of it. As someone said, who would die for a lie? Something happened to the followers of a dead Messiah that, that no one has ever been able to adequately explain. Third, there's the historical rise of Christianity. The, the, the brilliant uh, historian N.T. Wright points out that the Jesus movement that, that rose up after these things was a radical departure from historical scriptural Judaism, but at the same time was entirely consistent with historical scriptural Judaism. In other words, no one in the first century could have dreamed up such a belief system, a, a suffering Messiah who rose or died and rose again. At the same time, the belief system among Jesus' followers clearly emerged from the stories of, of God's people had been telling for thousands of years. Something took place, something happened to give birth to a spiritual movement that shaped human history like no other. Here's the thing. It can shape your life too. If Jesus conquered sin and death are our greatest enemies. He can conquer whatever is getting in the way of the life you want and we're meant to live. That's our storyline this Easter. If Jesus is greater than sin and death, he's greater than anything that can keep us from living a better story. Fascinating this week. I read the story of, of Marion Shirtliff just a couple of years ago uh, in, in late 2012. Marion, who is 75, she, she purchased a used Bible at a used bookstore in, in near her home in San Clemente, California. After making her purchase and returning home, she discovered a couple folded pages tucked inside her Bible. The contents of the yellowed sheets of paper contain a child's handwriting that looked familiar. To her amazement, Shirtlift discovered that it was her name at the top of the first page when she looked closer, she realized she was actually reading a, a four-page essay that she had written as a 10-year-old to earn a merit badge for the Girl Scouts in Covington, Kentucky, 3,000 kilometers away from where she'd just purchased this Bible. Shirtliff was deeply moved. In a phone interview, she said, she said, I opened the Bible and there was my name. I recognized my handwriting. I was shaking, literally. I was crying. Although it remains a mystery as to how her essay ended up in a Bible, uh, a used bookstore, uh, halfway across the country, one thing is certain. When you and I, when we look into God's Word, when we look into God's story, we see our own selves in the story. And, and we see this intimately personal invitation again 
and again and again, inviting us into the grander story of God, both in our lives and in our world. The resurrection storyline of Jesus is part of God's desire for for each of us. He came to make all things new, to give people a brand new start. He wants to bring hope to the hopeless. He wants to bring uh, and give to our stories meaning and and purpose. The Apostle Peter, who was, you remember the the disciple who denied Jesus on the night he was betrayed? He became one who would, would speak most confidently of this. He said, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, In His great mercy, He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, into an inheritance that can never spoil, perish, or fade. That's the storyline that God wants to write on each one of our lives. New birth into a living hope. What does it involve? It involves surrendering your storyline to God's. Allowing Him to do a bit of a rewrite in your journey. Allow, allowing him to become the primary author of your, your, your steps ahead, of your walk in your life. To allow the story of the empty tomb and the, the risen Jesus to become the defining story of your life. Um, it largely involves trust. Actually, Jesus does the heavy lifting. He's the one who conquers death and, and sin. He does that. De- deals conclusively with death. Uh, yeah, yeah. But he calls us to trust. You see, it takes faith. It takes trust to surrender your storyline into the, the life of another. To give your story over to someone else. It takes a conviction that God can write a better story than we can. If I'm honest, that, that's been probably my biggest obstacle throughout my lifetime of a life of faith. Has been... I often believe that I can write a better story than God can. But let me tell you this. When I have taken steps of faith and believed and put my my life and story into God's hands, I find, to my surprise, again and again and again, He can write a better story for me than I can. Surprise, surprise. That's been the greatest surprise for me in in a life of faith and trust with God is that that when I give him my life, he, he takes all of it. The mess, the, the brokenness, the pain, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and he redeems it and turns it into something beautiful and epic even. Awesome. That, that first Easter, do you remember the women at the tomb? As we just talked about, they, they show up there and, 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 and they, they meet the angel, and as they, they, they then are, the angel tells them to go and tell the, the other disciples what's going on, and uh, so they're, they're leaving the, the tomb and they're walking through this graveyard and, and they bump into Jesus and Jesus meets them and he's, he, it tells us that they are both terrified and overwhelmed with joy. They were fearful and full of joy. When Jesus sees them, he says, rejoice. He says, don't be afraid. And I think that's Jesus' encouragement and counsel to us this morning. Don't be afraid. Because I've conquered sin and death. And my desire for you is life, and life to the full. And he says, rejoice. I love this. Joy is meant to be part of our storyline, too. It is. Um, The presence of Jesus will change your fear into joy. Joy is not circumstantial or, or situational. Joy is a disposition of the heart that says, God, I, I trust you. You're God. 
I put this in your hands. I, I know that uh, many of you here this morning are, are just racked with fear. If you're honest, that's a real part of your storyline right now. In the, in the same way you choose fear, I would urge you to choose trust. To choose to trust God and rejoice. From, um, from a Christian perspective, Christians with joy, that's the best testimony to the finished work of Jesus. It really is. Grumpy Christianity is part of the problem. I mean, we should, we should rejoice with unimaginable amounts of joy because He is risen. Sin and death are conquered. You know that every good story has a defining moment. Writers call it an inflection point. A moment or incident that changes the trajectory of a character's life. And I wonder if this Easter Sunday could be an inflection point for for you. I, I want to encourage you today, if you're here and you've never made that decision to trust in Jesus, if you've never, never made that choice to align your life with the giver and sustainer of life, if he conquered the grave, you want to join him in that. If he conquered our brokenness and our shame, you want to join him in that. You want to walk that out. It's so good. It's the only logical place to be with Jesus. Why don't you close your eyes and uh, bow your head with me. Just let this be a, a quiet moment between you and God. I know you probably have all kinds of things going on today. Take a moment with Him. I don't know about your story. Maybe it's going so well right now, it, it's, it, and, you're, and you're just experiencing such gratitude today, and you want to tell God that. If you're just overflowing with hope and with, with joy, take a moment to thank Him. Maybe your story this morning has taken some turns you didn't think it would take. Maybe your heart's been bearing some hurts you didn't think you were going to have to carry. Maybe there have been some roads to walk down you didn't think you were going to have to walk. Today, Jesus invites you into another story of forgiveness and grace, of hope and courage. And invite you, if you want to, to be part of this story where you walk by faith and trust, where you live in, in, in love, where you, where you die in grace to be raised up in life with God forever. If you want that story to be your story, it can. Just tell him now, as, as people have been doing for 2,000 years, God, I want to get in on your story. I want to invite Jesus to be my friend and my forgiver. I trust in, in what he did on the cross and in the resurrection that my brokenness and, and sin the price has been paid. And I now want to live in your resurrection life, in your love, and your hope. And we pray this on this beautiful Easter day. In Jesus' name. Amen.